All over the world on Easter Sunday, millions and millions of people gather together in churches, just like we're doing today, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I got wondering something this week. I wonder how many of those millions and millions of people that gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually believe that he raised from the grave. I know a lot of people go to church on Easter Sunday for various reasons. It's the once or twice a year, maybe, that they they go to church. Um but not really believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And as I pondered what to speak on today, I thought of, well, you know, maybe we could go and look at the preponderance of evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thought, well, you know, that would be preaching to the choir, okay, for you folks. So as Pastor John and I, we talked about it, I thought, you know what, where we'd really like to go today is to answer the question, so what? So what? He rose from the dead, so what? What does that mean? Now what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to begin this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. We have this statement in Scripture of the resurrection. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose from the dead. So what? Are we just celebrating a historical fact? Are we just celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago and it has absolutely no meaning to us today? Or does it have some significance beyond just the historical facts? Today I want us to look at what does it mean to me that Jesus rose from the dead. The first thing, I'm going to share three things with you today. The first one is, I have hope. I have hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. Here we read, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So the New King James Version says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this verse. They think this verse is saying that we should always be ready to be able to tell people what we believe. That's not what it's saying at all. It's not saying we should be ready to tell people what we believe. It says we should be ready to tell people why We believe what we believe. What is the basis? What is the foundation? The the word hope here doesn't mean 
something that may or may not happen. But really it comes from a Greek word that means a confident expectation. Be ready to explain to people why you have a confident expectation in what you believe. Now, there are people who who might question, you know, what we believe. There are people who say, well, you know, I really don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is a matter, really, of giving them information. Josh McDowell wrote a, a fantastic book, and I can't think of the name of it right now, um, but it, it, I got copies of it. And it, it, it has, it's, it's about this thick, and it's just why we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, why believe in the resurrection and that. Information is one thing, but it's something else to say, why do I believe that? Other than the evidence, other than the proofs that we have, why personally do I believe in what I believe? I need to have a good reason for it. I need to know why do I believe the Bible is in fact the Word of God and different from every other religious book out there. I need to know why I believe Jesus is the Holy Son of God and not just a good man, not just a role model that we should follow. I need to know why I trust God that he is going to keep his promises to me. And the answer to all of those whys goes back to a few very basic truths that I hold very dear. You see, uh, in my probably 60 years now of, of reading through the Bible and studying the Bible and meditating on the Bible, something has happened within me. And that is, I have gotten to know God better. I've gotten to know him better. And there's some things I have learned about him that have a direct bearing on why I believe what I believe. The first thing I have come to see about God as I've gotten to know him is that God is love and God is grace. John 3.16, probably the most popular verse in the Bible, starts off, For God so loved the world. I remember as a little five-year-old boy sitting in a good news club in, in child evangelism, and the teacher said, Put your name in there, Cal. And I read, For God so loved Cal that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The very first thing I ever learned about God is God is love. In John chapter 15, verse 13, how do I know God is love? How has he demonstrated that love to me? You know, I can say I love my wife but I'd better demonstrate that love in some way or she's going to wonder if I really do love her. And God can say, I love you, but if he didn't demonstrate his love to us, then we might wonder, does God really 
love us. And so in John 15, 13, we read, Greater love has no one than this, that to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated his love for you and me by dying for us. That same child evangelism teacher said, you know, instead of saying Christ died for us, put your name in there. Christ died for Cal. God demonstrated his love in that he died for me. He died for you. That's the demonstration of his love. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Friday, Good Friday, is a demonstration of God's extreme love for us. So the first thing I learned about what was, was God's love. The next thing I learned was about God's grace. All that God does for us, he does by his grace. This is really cool. This is really great. I don't have to try to earn God's favor. There's a lot of people out there who think that, thinks that, that God operates on the brownie point system. You know, if I do this and if I do that, then God will do this for me. Some people see God as a giant dispensing machine. You know, you plug in good works and God pulls the lever and, and out comes the blessing. You know, out comes something good. Now, all that God has for me, all that God does for me, he does by his grace. And I don't have to try to earn God's love. I don't have to try to earn God's favor. A lot of people are going through life hindered because they're trying to earn the love of somebody. Trying to, maybe child grew up and never felt loved by his father and so he does all sorts of things trying to earn his father's love. God doesn't operate that way. He loves us regardless. We don't have to earn his favor. My relationship with God is not based upon my performance. A lot of people think the way to heaven is by doing good works, doing good things. If I do more good things than I do bad things, I get to go to heaven. Folks, that's the brownie point system. That's saying if I do enough good things, I can earn my way to heaven. God will give me heaven because I've done all of this. That's backwards. God says, you don't have to perform for me. So I don't have to earn his favor. Everything that God has is based upon his love and his grace. So the first things I learned about was God's love and, and God's grace. The next thing I learned about God is, is God is holy and God is just as well. A loving father holds his children accountable for their actions. Now, I can't give you any current day applications for raising children because my children are all grown up and gone. But we get to see it again through our grandchildren. And, and, and it's kind of fun to see our grandchildren doing the same thing to their parents that our children did to us. And we just sit there and smile. <laughs> now you know. Okay. 
A father holds his children accountable for their actions. There are consequences. Choices determine consequences. That's one of those lessons that we pound into our children's head, and and I see them doing that now to our grandchildren. Choices determine consequences. God said the consequences of sin is separation from him. Because of sin in the world, because of the the fact that there's evil and, and none of us are perfect, God says the consequence for that is separation. But he did set up a plan. And the plan is that somebody could pay the penalty for those consequences and restore us back to a relationship with him. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sins. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. So God is loving, he's gracious, but he's also holy. He's also just. And something else I learned about God. And and this really is the reason for my hope, the reason for my confident expectation of God is because God is these things. And, And the third one is God is powerful. God is powerful. John 10, 18. Here is one of the greatest Evidences. In fact, it is the greatest evidence of power that anyone could ever experience. John 10, 18 says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. The resurrection is all about power. The resurrection is all about God demonstrating his power to us. Jesus says, I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. If Jesus is who he says he was, and he claimed to be God, okay, now he didn't claim to be a good guy, he didn't claim just to, to, to be someone who was going to deliver people from uh, oppression. He claimed to be God, and if he is who he says he is, then he needed to do it, he needed to show it by doing something that no human being could ever do. And the one thing that we cannot ever do is to raise ourselves up from the dead. You know why? Because once we're dead, we're dead. We have no power once we're dead. And so, I... In my little mind, I I have this this little eternal life conference that went on before God created the heaven and the earth. And they planned it all out. And God says, you know, I am going to show them my power by doing something that is humanly impossible. And that is by raising myself up from the dead. Jesus is who he says he is, then he showed it by doing something that no one else can do. And that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, is that Jesus Christ was not just a human being because he did something that no human being could ever do. So the reason I have hope today, the reason I have confidence, the why I believe what I believe today is because God has demonstrated to me his love, his grace, his justice, his holiness, and his power.
And I've experienced them all. So because of Easter, I have hope. Let's go on. Because of Easter, I have help as well. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4.8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. I love the first part of this verse. This is my reason for not joining a gym. For bodily exercise profits little. Yeah, I like that. But let's go on. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness. In other words, our relationship with God, our personal intimate relationship with God, is, is, is profitable not just for what's coming in the future someday, but for that which is right now. My personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not just a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by type of a thing. It, it has some real earthly present benefits right here, right now. What are some of those benefits? Let me just list a few. God helps us by giving us power over evil. There's, there's a battle going on right here on, on earth right now. If you don't believe that, just listen to the news. There is a huge battle going on on earth right now. But there's also a huge battle going on inside of us, each and every one of us. And some people are being destroyed from within. And, and they're, they're doing things that are destroying their mind and destroying their body and, and, and their hearts. And these things the Bible calls sin. And God wants to give us the victory over them because in that victory is the power to live and to love. And, and in, the, in that power, there, we are free from destructive habits. And in that power... We get to make a clean start in life. So God helps us to gain that control over self-destructive behavior. And then God helps us by giving us direction in life. Someone said, a life without direction is like walking blindfolded through a minefield. Where are we going to get direction? You know, some people say it doesn't matter what direction you go, just go some direction. You know, that's a sure way to step on a mine. Just go out there. If I were to say to Karen, you know, Karen, um, I think we, I think it's time for us to make a trip to California. Let's go on a little vacation. And I say, you know, and and you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to any. Any signs? I'm not going to pay any attention to any markers on the road. I'm just going to get in the car, and I, I'm just going to, if I feel like turning left, I'm going to turn left. If I feel like turning right, I'm going to, I'll go right. And I, I'm just going to go my way, do my own thing. I would guess we would probably never get to California. But you know, that's how some people are living their life. No direction, no instruction, 
no, no road signs, if you would. And if you're walking, that's a good way to fall into the potholes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Why the resurrection? So what? What does it mean? I can honestly tell you, since I got saved at the age of five, God has been directing my life. Now, I wish I could tell you I followed his direction for all those years. I haven't. But he was there directing. That's one of the ways he he helps us. Another way God helps us is by giving us joy and peace. Again, if you watched the news this week, you saw that a Christian school in Kenya was attacked by Islamic extremists. And over a hundred Christians were killed. Basically, they went down and said, you know, they asked each one, are you a Christian or a Muslim? If they were, said they were a Muslim, they were spared. If they said they were a Christian, they were killed right on the spot. There's a lot of things in the world that can cause us to be fearful. Seems like in our nation and in the world, we're all of a sudden becoming very polarized one way or another. And pretty soon, when polarization takes place, conflict is the inevitable results. A lot of people are polarized in their hearts. One way, they, they want to follow God, and, and, and that, but it, there's, there's also that battle within them. And, and as a result, we do things that cause us to be anxious. In, in Romans 15, 13, it says, Now may the God of hope, we talked about hope, confidence, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's, there's the key. It's joy and peace in believing. When we believe God, we get that joy and peace that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people are afraid of dying. Some people are afraid of living. A life based upon trusting God is a life that's free from that worry and anxiety that we get when we believe God. There's joy and peace in believing. So I have hope because of the resurrection. I have help because of the resurrection. There's one more thing I have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is I have heaven. I have heaven. There is life after death. How do I know that? I've never experienced it. But again, because I believe that this book is is God's word, it talks about heaven and it talks about hell. In fact, you know the Bible talks more about hell than it talks about heaven? We do not need to fear death. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, talks about a common condition 
that all of us experience in this lifetime and how to be free from this pain. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Fear of death is a slavery. Fear of death keeps us from, from doing that which God wants us to do. On the cross, Jesus destroyed the power of Satan. The consequence is, is that we no longer need to fear death. Why? Because heaven can be ours. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, talks about a day that is coming. It says, first all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. Right now, we can know where we're going to spend eternity. And that is why we cannot earn our way to heaven. Because if we could earn our way to heaven by doing good things, we would never know if we've done enough good things to get to heaven. So we could never know if we were going to heaven someday. 1 John 5.13, John writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that ye may know that you have eternal life. It's not, I hope I have eternal life. It's not, I think I have eternal life. It's not, I'm working towards getting eternal life. It says, we can know that we have eternal life. The only way to know that is if it's a free gift of God that we simply receive. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Would you like to know? In Romans 3.23, says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? It simply means that if somebody sat you next to God and, and somebody had to pick who was the better, who was the holier, who was the most perfect, you know, they wouldn't pick me. We fall short of God's glory. And it's because we're not perfect. That's what that all sin, the sin means. We're not perfect. Romans 6, 23 for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages is something you earn by doing something. I go to work for Kitsap Transit. I put in my 40 hours a week, and every other week they give me a paycheck. Those are my wages. I had to earn them. I had to do something. The wages of sin is death. Because I'm not perfect, what I have earned is death. And the word death here not only means separation from the body, but it also means separation from God. What I have earned because I'm not perfect is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift is different from wages, isn't it? 
You know, a, a gift is, is something that someone gives someone else freely. If I were to, to give someone a gift, let's say I go down to Fred Meyer and I pay the full price for that item, 100% of it is paid, I take it and I give it to someone. Eternal life is that gift. It was 100% paid for by Christ on the cross. The penalty of sin, the price of sin, 100% paid for by Christ on the cross. And then the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Nobody can boast that they paid for even 1% of the penalty of sin. Jesus paid it all. And because Jesus paid it all, it's now a free gift. You know, there's something about gifts. On this Easter day, perhaps you have an Easter gift for someone. And you paid 100% of the, of the price for it, and, and, and you offer it to someone. You know, you can stand there and offer it to them and offer into it and offer into it, but it's not theirs until they take it. They have to take it. You have to receive it. So Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins, for my sins on the cross, but until we receive it, he's just standing there offering it to us, saying, won't you take it? Won't you receive it today? It's been paid for completely. There's nothing you can do to add to pay for the penalty of your sin. It's only yours to receive. Today, because of the resurrection, I have heaven, and I have hope, and I have help. Have you received that free gift of eternal life? It's yours to receive today by simply whispering a prayer to God, saying, I believe that Jesus paid the full penalty for my sin on the cross. There's nothing I can do to add to that and I simply receive your free gift of eternal life. Let's bow together in prayer.